Thank you for downloading this podcast from Emmanuel Church Lurgan. At Emmanuel, our vision is to help rewrite the story of Craigavon, Ireland and the nations with the good news of the Kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. Oh, it's so good to be together again. It's lovely to see Alan and Pauline here. You're very welcome. And it's good to see you well again, Alan. I know you're on the mend and been praying for you, um, but it's great to have you here this morning. And a minister friend sent me this this week. Um, thought it was interesting. Um, it's not a stressful job at all. Um, so I, um, we're, 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 we're overjoyed to be part of a church on the move and feeling that God doing something through um, not just through this nation, but actually through the world as we talk. And we've been on our six mission statements as we talked about. Um, these are our six mission statements, our six practices that we see in the life of Jesus, teaching on, on the, the fact that discipleship is following Jesus in all of life. So it's how do we follow Jesus in every aspect of our lives? How do we follow Jesus in our homes, and our marriages, as we raise our kids, as we deal with our finances, all of those things as we talk to other people. And so after spending some time as elders and leaders together, we came up with six practices. Now, I said to you last week, there's some of you, some people said, no, Phil, there's eight practices because there's two of them, there's two words in. And the reason there's two words in generosity and hospitality and compassion and justice, we just couldn't decide which word, and we felt the two words actually said one thing really. And so um, there are six practices. We felt those words were inseparable. We started last um, week looking at justice and compassion, and we read this verse. If you've got a Bible, turn to Psalm 103. It's a short verse, but it's an important verse, and it's something would be great to underline or mark in your phone. Um, Don't be afraid to write on your Bible and underline. And basically it says, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. I love that. This is the character of God right here. It's not that God does compassion. We said this, that compassion in Emmanuel is more than just our compassion project. Compassion is character. It's who you are. And it's just the same as John in his little epistle when he says, God is love. God is compassionate. God is gracious. God is slow to anger, rebounding in love. And of course, the Old Testament is riddled with passages like this, riddled right through um, all of Scripture. Um, And it was really interesting to see some of the surveys around compassion. I love this. Uh, um, Dave's um, saying to you about the mission um, uh, survey. And this has been really helpful to us as you get into the study and understand a little bit of what you're thinking. So we've been putting out questions um, as to what you think. And so here was the question, question five, um, seeing this uh, compassion and justice as an active part of your faith and through your actions and how you pray. And over 90% there either strongly agree or agree, which is interesting, isn't it? It says a lot about Yeah, this is you telling us, and we look at some more of those as we go along. And again, I say, I'm glad glad so many of you said that, because um, here's the fact. 
All through the Old Testament, all through the Scripture, you'll see little verses like this. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly before your God. It doesn't get any simpler than that. Sure, it does not. It's simple language for the simple people. And Deuteronomy, a great one, Deuteronomy 10, he defends the cause of the fatherless. And the widow, he loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. In the Old Testament, all the gods of the Old Testament that, that were worshipped by other nations all represented power. So they're all top-down kind of things. So, so they, they represented power. Remember how Naaman, when Naaman heard that there was healing in Israel, what did he do? He went to the king of Israel. He never thought about going to a, a prophet. He, he went to the king of Israel, and he went with loads of gifts and money to buy this healing. And the king would, would tell him, the king would tell him that this God of Israel isn't like the other gods. He, he doesn't get into bed with power. He stands with people at the bottom. He stands with the broken. He would say, I don't tell the prophet what to do. The prophet actually judges me. So think about this. As God brings this language out in the Old Testament in a male-dominated society where women were treated like objects, God says, I'm the God of the widow. I'm the God of the poorest of the poor. In a, in a, where family was all important and you were judged if you weren't in one, God would say, I'm the father to the fatherless, to a nation who believe they're the chosen people of God, and they were, God would say to them, I, I, love, I'm an, I, I, I love the immigrant. I love the foreigner. And he would say this again in Zechariah 7, 9, and 10. This is what the Lord Almighty said. Administer true justice. Show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the foreigner or the poor. So justice and compassion are powerful things. And uh, uh, I saw this little picture a few weeks ago. I thought it was really good. How we walk with the broken speaks louder than how we sit with the great. How we walk with the broken. So how you show up in the world as a believer is really, really important. How you show up um, is really important. This is why Jesus would say when he was asked what is the greatest commandment, he would say, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and love your neighbor as yourself. And then he would say, on these two, hang all the rest, all the 600 plus that the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day had come up because they were just rule keepers. And they'd invented all of these laws. And Jesus is saying to them, guys, if you get these two right, if you love God and you love people, then something happens. And of course, we talked a little bit about this last week. We talked about no, no more place is this more vivid than in the cross because in the cross we get the horizontal and the vertical. We get this idea of, of compassion, of love towards God and love to our fellow man, which is so, so important. And then when you go into the New Testament, we looked a little bit about this last week in Matthew 9 where it says when, when Jesus and when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a a shepherd. And so Jesus is physically moved with compassion. And the big word for compassion, that Greek word, there it is. I'll let you try and pronounce it. Splengnizomahi. There you go. Um, that's your Greek lesson today. It means to have the bowels yearn. Like pretty graphic language, isn't it? 
feel sympathy, to be moved with compassion. And so Jesus personified this life of justice. He walked humbly, but not in weakness. He stood up for the oppressed. He championed the cause of the widow and the orphan. And he found ways to, to challenge the status quo. Remember the woman caught in adultery. We should stone her, shouldn't we? And you know how he, he worked with that. He overturned the tables in Matthew 21 um, because he was righteously angry, angry because the idea of these people that were, hold, they were withholding the presence of God from the poor. That's what they were doing. They were overcharging. They were, they, they were saying, if you have money, you'll get this. And if you haven't, you're, we're withheld. And so Jesus took this idea of justice beyond human fairness. He, he, and, and, and even beyond comparative righteousness. Like, for instance, in the Sermon on the Mount, he would say, you have heard it say, an eye for an eye. But I say unto you, I say unto you, love your enemies. He would, he would stretch it beyond their minds. Jesus longed for justice that flowed from his sacrificial, sacrificial love and his empowering love. And, and of course, we know this. We know that this empowering presence of God uh, and only that will reorder the world and put it on its right axis. We know this. We know this. And the greatest act of power in the world was the act of sacrificial love. This act, and this is the foolishness of the cross because Calvary love is stronger than violence. And this is how Jesus depicts this. This is so beautiful. And last week, we looked a little bit at, at justice and, and shalom and compassion, meaning right relationships and right living. And it means that we make fair judgments, have fair business dealings, and becomes a, a stewardship of integrity and justice. Dave, can I have the ball? Um, whenever I was at school, whenever I was at school, um, when I went to the senior high school, I got picked for the um, football team, and rugby, couldn't find a rugby ball. Um, and uh, I soon realized, especially with rugby, that they'd picked me for my stature more than my skill. And um, what would happen when I'd go to play football, when I started to play football, um, people would run and tackle me. People would come and, and, and tackle and take the ball from me, which wasn't very fair. The, the rugby, they would come and I would get tackled and they would hassle me. As the weeks went past, I began to realize that I was getting less tackling. As the weeks went past, I began to realize that when I got the ball, obviously they didn't think, the opposite team didn't think they were in much danger. That's the truth. Never was that good at these sports thing. Formula One's my sport. Um, so... So I realized something. I realized very soon that I probably just wasn't that good at it. My fear today, my fear today for the church is that when the church gets the ball, I wonder, does the enemy think, ah, they're all right. They just gossip against each other anyway. They just fight internally. And um, no, I just let them go there. Don't need to send anybody their way to tackle them. They're okay. They're safe with the ball. I would hate that for this church. I would love to think that the enemy, because it feels at the moment, it does feel at the moment like there's something moving. It feels like 
we've got the ball, that God has given us the ball. And I would love to think that the enemy's scared. I would love to think that the enemy is, is probably going to throw everything at us to, to, try and, to try and counterattack, to try and take the ball from us. Counterattack of the enemy means you're in the right place. And so there's something that moves in this. There you go, Dave, you can have that. There we go. Dave and I are good at that. Um, because when, 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 when people, when, when, the, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. And we realize who we are and we realize whose we are. And I would love to think at this moment in time that the enemy's panicking about that. And so what I want to do this morning, really quickly, I want to talk about three areas or three arenas, I suppose you could call them, in which I think... Um, uh, we will struggle in compassion and justice, and then I'm going to show you three weapons of how to come against that. So the first one, basically, is this one called the personal arena, your personal arena. You can't work for justice uh, and live unjustly. That just goes without saying. You can't work for justice and live unjustly, not, not for long anyway. And so we stand against all forms of pride and envy and anger and sloth and greed and gluttony. The lust within ourselves, issues of sexual purity are serious. At the same time, we need to work to promote um, the virtues of temperance and fortitude and prudence and justice and love and faith and peace and hope and on and on we could go. And so it's really important to understand what's going on within and it's really important to call sin, sin. And it's really important to be tough on ourselves. I find in leaders today, as I mingle with leaders a lot, I find two big areas of, of, that, that, two areas of weakness. The first area of weakness that I find amongst many leaders is they're far too hard on themselves. They're just far too hard on themselves, beat themselves up all the time over everything. But the second is more subtle. And the second, I think, is more serious. And the second thing is I find some leaders are just too easy on themselves. And they allow things in themselves that they actually wouldn't even allow in their team. <laughs> if it was somebody on their team, they would, have them, they, they would be bringing discipline. They would be bringing a word of caution. Maybe even asking them to step off the team for a while. While tolerating within themselves. I'm speaking to myself as well. And so this is a challenge today. Into our personal lives, our personal purity um, who shall ascend onto the hill of the Lord? He that has clean hands and a pure heart. The person who hasn't lifted his soul or her soul to another. And so the weapon, I think, against this is the weapon of prayer and devotion. This time of personal... I, I can't... Uh, a, a few... A, maybe a couple of months ago, I brought the challenge. You know that I, I, I've done the devotions. I've wrote the devotions right through the Bible a devotion on every chapter of the Bible to try and get you to read the Bible right through. I spent three years doing that. And so, and the reason I did it was to get you to read the Bible. If you read one chapter a day, you'll read it in three years. And that's not an awful long time if you look back, all right? And so all I wanted to do is to get you into the Word. And so I challenged a couple of months ago to, to set a place. You need a place to meet. Don't do it haphazardly. A place where you, an anointed place where you meet with God. I, I challenge you to get up 30 minutes earlier. I'm so blessed by the emails and texts that I've got 
from people who have found that life-changing even within our own team. And so this is important, our personal prayer and devotion. We wait in the power of God. We develop a longing of the deep things of God. And from the deep times of prayer, we discern evil from good and we discern action that needs to happen. We hear fresh words from the Lord daily to address the deep issues within ourselves before we think about the injustices of the world and of our day. And we call ourselves to return of righteousness. That's the challenge in the personal arena. The second one is the area of the social arena, I call this. And it's the arena of interpersonal relationships as much as possible. The Bible tells us to live at peace with all people. And this means we work, we actively work for healing and reconciliation, for compassion and shalom. So one of the things that God placed in our heart back 20 years ago was to co-labor with other churches. So really important. One of the reasons our, our, our mission statement is to help rewrite the story of the city. Interesting, to help, not just to write. We're never going to do it ourselves, but to help rewrite. And as we co-labor with other agencies and other churches, we will help rewrite. We feed the hungry, we help the helpless, we reach out to the orphan and the widow and the weak. We fight the, for justice in the Cambodian houses of prostitution and child slavery we continue to feed the lepers in India. The girls are just back from, from working with the Dalits. Uh, we, we, we build schools and help the poor in Uganda. And so the weapon for this, the weapon is Christian community. Christian community coming together, showing the world that there's an alternative way of living and hope and acceptance and peace and freedom and hope and vision of nurture and accountability. That's why life groups are so, so important. We love one another. We love one another. And the world will declare, see how they love one another. You know the verse, don't you? John 13, what a beautiful verse. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this shall everyone know. By this shall everyone know that you visit each other's houses? No. That you come to church on Sunday? No. By this shall everyone know by your love for one another. That's how they know you're my disciples, Jesus said. So it's true. Together we can do so, so much more. And so our personal arena is of vital importance. But this social arena, as we work together as we build interpersonally and work together, uh, I think we can change so much. And then the third one, basically, is the institutional arena. And uh, this is where Jesus cleansed the temple. He was defeating a, an institutional structure that had become corrupt. And our task is to envision and work for a society in which it's easier to do good and harder to do evil. And, the, and, and we need to speak up. We need to speak up. We need to do it with dignity and with integrity, but we need to do it with strength. All right? There's something powerful. So it's one um, where the institutions and laws and public policies provide justice and enhance life for everybody, not just a select few. And it seems overwhelming, but facing the institutional arena with truth and justice, a little complicated must be done. And there's many, many areas of this. I'm just going to name a few this morning that I think as a church, we need to speak into, and ones that we've already been speaking into. For instance, the plight of the unborn. Um, 
and, and speaking up for those who have no voice. Understanding what the Bible says out of the Psalms, Psalms 1, 2, 7, 3 and 4, Psalm 22, 9 and 10, Psalm 137, fearfully and wonderfully made, knowing you in your womb, knowing you when you were just a substance, pretty graphic language, more than just a no, this is more than just saying no, this is how the church is supporting young pregnant women, women and the family unit called to start and support mechanisms and help families and young moms see that the family home is the best place to raise children. And so it's important that we understand that. And then one of the things that I love about so many of you in the churches around the whole fostering and adoption thing that we can speak into and churches beginning to take some steps in this with much more to do. Um, but it's so lovely to see so many of you working in this area and I think that says a lot about us. There's problems of, of poverty and housing. One of the reasons that I um, started to, to meet in my home back in 1996 was this very thing, working in Craig Avon, a coal man in Craig Avon, just couldn't figure out the brokenness in her own city, couldn't figure out who was doing anything about it, what was happening. And so we need to speak about that. We need to speak about war and peace. We need to speak about terrorism disguised as religion. We need to speak about racism. We need to speak about consumerism because we have created consumeristic societies and we've created consumeristic churches where people just come and receive and don't actually give. And so we want you to come and give. You know that, that we don't want you just to warm a seat, but actually to come and give. We need to look at areas to do with the environment. So environmental stewardship and celebration, really important. This is, this is great, actually, because on the survey, here was one of the questions, you know, one of the questions was this, I believe that I have a biblical responsibility to look after the environment. And, and, and look at how many of you strongly agree. Like, if you took the green and the blue together, it's um, 90% of the church agree that that we have a responsibility to the environment, which I think is brilliant because the Bible tells us in Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and then the dwell therein. Jesus is the Lord of everything, and this includes creation. His desire is to fill everything with his presence. It's the last verse in Ephesians 1, I think it's verse 22, that he says, he will fill all things with himself. All things, all things. So the earth is important and creation groans and waits for the fulfillment of the kingdom. And Romans 8 tells us this, this, this children of God being released into their God-given purposes. Listen to what it says. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. So even the old earth groans waiting for the return of the Messiah. Even the earth groans. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. Oh, I love Romans 8. It's such a powerful, powerful passage of Scripture. And we have all of these things going on inside us. And of course, here again, 80% of you in this question, you know, I, I seek to make choices to live out this responsibility, purchasing what's that word? sustainable items, recycling, all of that. So um, really important. These things are, 
are really, really important. And 80% agree and strongly agree in that, which I think is, is so good. And there's other things. Our health care, um, our NHS is under strain. Um, our, our nurses and doctors are overworked and underpaid. Um, the stresses and strains of that. Um, the pornography industry. Actually, I googled this and they can't even tell you. They reckon that the pornography industry worldwide um, earns somewhere between 60 and 90 billion dollars. <laughs> now, a billion is a thousand million. You maybe know that. So it's one with nine knots. And the, the pornography, they, they can't estimate it because there's so many private sites now. And um, they reckon between 60 and 90 billion dollars um, a year. Pretty horrific. And don't tell me it's not in the church. Materialism, where we just live for ourselves and don't live for anything else. It's complicated. It's complicated, guys. These, these, are, these are things. These are the institutional arena that we have a, a right to stand up for. And the weapon that I think we have for this is the church's voice and prophetic witness. We've got a voice. Now, excuse my drawing, but they, they, they tell us, any, any engineer will tell you that the, most, the, the strongest structure to support anything is a triangle, all right? So um, if we're going to support compassion and justice, then our, our personal prayer life is of, and our, 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 our community together as, as God's people and our voice as a prophetic witness, are, I think, are the things that are actually going to uphold compassion and justice in our society. And if we are going to move forward with this, then something interesting is going to have to happen in the church. And we, ha we, we, we just, when justice prevails, then... We, if, if justice fails, then we need to bring our prophetic voice. We need to bring that unction and that voice of the church. Now, just to finish off, can I say one thing? When you talk about compassion and justice, they're really important things, and we, uh, but we need to be careful about one thing. We need to be careful that we don't forget about people's spiritual needs. Hmm. First and foremost, we need to be careful about people's spirit. It's easy to get caught up in a church in serving and meeting the needs of others, especially physical needs, because sometimes it, it sort of does something ourselves when we help people and neglect the dealing and dealing with the spirit of reality that some of these people and many of them are lost. And so that's so important. And it's easy to let our actions speak without actually proclaiming that Jesus is the reason why we live a compassionate life. And so when we do this, when we, when we do this, the church should be the place. It should be the place. So watching the news today, I am more convinced than ever that the church of Jesus Christ is the hope of the world, the hope of the world. And, and, and it's time to put on the armor of God. I, I was leaving through this morning, early this morning, um, um, Ephesians 5 and Ephesians 6. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrance, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. <laughs> Imagine he's saying, Paul's exhorting the church in Ephesus to, to make a, a conscious effort to be a fragrant sacrifice to God. 
He says, sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not be named among you. <laughs> Shouldn't even be talking about this, he says. <laughs> among, he says, because it's not proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ. Scary stuff, isn't it? Look carefully then how you walk, not as wise but unwise. I've told you this story before that um, I, I live, my back wall is the park and it's all, it's all done with bot broken bottles along the top. So massive, just big wall, and it's all broken bottles along the top. And every morning, every morning when I'm eating my breakfast, I'm looking out the back window, and the little squirrels are running along the wall. I don't know how they do it. I've never seen one limping with a cut leg yet. And, and I always think of this verse. I always think of this verse. Walk, don't walk as the unwise. Walk as wise. Choose your steps carefully. And then he goes on into this, and he says in verse 6, he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. If we're going to, Paul, Paul is, is depicting and forecasting a spiritual, uh, sort of a spiritual forecast. Now, Daniel and I have this sort of shindig going on every morning. Daniel hates coats. He hates coats. He's tracksuit and T-shirt. And he would go everywhere in a tracksuit and t-shirt. And so every morning when he gets his school uniform on, I said, Daniel, put your coat on. He said, don't need my coat, Dad. I said, son, you need your coat. He says, the sun's shining outside. I says, minus one. <laughs> the sun might be shining outside, but it's minus one. And, um, and you need it if you're going out to play at lunchtime. It might rain. It's not going to rain today, Dad. Look, the sky's blue. I've got a weather up, son. It's going to be raining at 11 a.m., you know, and then I do what all of you good fathers do, whatever you like yourself. Um, but um, Paul is, Paul is he's doing exactly what I'm doing. Paul is, is looking spiritually ahead, and he's saying, finally, as we get into this final run, you need to be strong in the Lord. This is what he's saying. He's saying, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. You need to put on this armor to stand the wiles and the schemes of the devil. You don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Stop fighting the wrong battles, folks. Your battle isn't with Joe Bloggs down the road who... Parking his car in your drive, front of your drive. Your, your, your battle isn't with, with your brother or sister who sat in your seat this morning. No, no, no. Those are, those, those, your battle is against this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, Paul predicts, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand, stand firm. Stand firm. So, the guys are going to come, and we're going to finish with a song. We're going to watch a little video before we do that, because as we move forward in this day, some things are happening, all right? We had a pretty miraculous thing happened last Sunday night.
that we're going to show a little video of here in a second. Um, and then get, we're going to finish the song. We're going to worship God and do that. Now, um, you know that we're a, we're, we're a church that believes in salvation and healing. And that has been our mandate for a long, long time, from day one, really, 23 or 24 years. And uh, last week, um, Joanne danced here, I think, just about here. Um, now, Joanne has been in a wheelchair for 10 years. And um, she's actually been in a wheelchair all the time I've known her. Now, that's, that's, that's pretty momentous when somebody gets out of a wheelchair and dances, doesn't it? Pretty good, pretty good. Um, now let me let me say we're gonna we're gonna interview um, Joanne tonight. Joanne is the first one to tell you that this was a process. All right, let's not call it what it's not. All right, so let's be careful with it. Joanne has been in a process of this for I was going to say months, but probably years. And I was chatting to her yesterday around inner healing as well. So a lot of a lot of what happened here came from uh, an area of inner healing in her life. So. There's a little scripture, I was saying this to her yesterday, you know where the Bible says you draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. Well, this is what's happened in this process. Now, I'm not crying the miracle, all right? It's a miracle. She's been in a wheelchair for 10 years, and she's now not just walking, but doing a little dance. Um, and she said when she walked, she was going to dance to a song. So let's watch the video. Can we put that on? And... Um, Good, isn't it? Pretty good. Now, let me say to you, let me say to you, and then we're going to worship. Uh, I'm not trying to decry the miracle at all. It's a miracle of God. She's been in a wheelchair for 10 years. She's now walking. Um, God spoke to me about four or five years ago on New Year's Day, standing at the gate of the park, about the story of Elijah. Elisha said to Elijah, um, give me a double portion. Elijah says, if you see me when I'm taken up, you'll get it. Now, three times he tries to get rid of him, it seems, in the story. And then eventually, it says that they're standing across the brook, they're standing across the brook, and a chariot of fire comes down from heaven. Read this for yourself. And, and then it says that Elijah was taken up by a whirlwind. We hear sometimes that Elijah was taken up into heaven with a chariot of fire. That's not right. He was taken up with a whirlwind. Now, it says a little line. It says, and... Elisha saw it. 
Now, I know what I would have done. You know what you would have done, too. You would have been looking at the chariot of fire. Oh, wow, look at that. Holy smoke. Look at that. And then you'd have grown around and where's Elijah? But not Elisha. And so we've got to be careful. We've got to handle the things of God wisely. And I remember God saying to me, I'll send the manifestations as long as you don't run after them. Because if you run after them, you'll miss the main thing. So let's keep our eyes on Jesus and all this. And so we're going to hear from Joanne tonight. And again, I say it's a miracle of God. Incredible. It's been a journey and a process for her. But it's been so beautiful. But let's stand together. Let's worship. Then I'll pray. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. For more information about our church and all that we do, please visit our website at emmanuel-church.co.uk.